I'm Andy Murray, the Executive Director of the Major Projects Association, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to part two of our COP26 podcast. If you've not done so already, I would recommend you listen to part one, where our panellists discuss whether major projects are a part of the problem or a part of the solution regarding the climate crisis and what can be done to make our major projects more sustainable. In part two of this podcast, Claire Gott asks our panellists, what's the one thing they would do? What would your one key message um, to send to stakeholders and government be? What would your one call to action be that the MPA um, should include in their position statement? Now, while you're all thinking, I'm very happy to um, just give a, a, a give my thoughts on that. Um, I think, as, as I've already alluded to, at WSP, we believe quite strongly that helping clients and stakeholders to understand their carbon data um, is absolutely crucial on the journey to, to net zero, but that there needs to be a more meaningful value assigned to carbon. So that needs to be terminology and language that everyone understands, um, that's consistent um, and that's measurable. Um, I'll give a quick example. So at WSP, we, we recognise the importance of, of carbon and as I said earlier we've committed to going at zero by 2025 as our own business and we've also committed to halving the carbon footprint of our designs and advice by 2030. But the success of those two targets are absolutely underpinned by changing mindsets and shifting culture. So when we announced that commitment we chose some very visual language that enabled people to really understand it um, and and get behind it. So one of the one of the key um, examples we gave was that we said if we cut our business travel emissions just by a fifth, so we stop travelling for one day a week, we could save the equivalent of a staggering thirty trips to the moon every single year. So that visual language just really helped our people get behind why this was so important and how significant their business travel was. Um, so my, my ask, you know, uh, as part of this proposition will be that government truly recognise and advocate a meaningful value for carbon that is consistent. So I'll go to Kareem first. Um, I think that uh, if I'm to advise policymakers, I think it's important that they signal um, unambiguously um, beyond carbon that they need to um, sustain and even regenerate and improve uh, environmental and social capital um, and that um, by signaling by signaling so uh, they will help create those ecosystems of collaboration that we spoke about today uh, there is a risk in doing so and in becoming too prescriptive uh, and stifling free market and search for their optimum solutions that have the lowest carbon footprint for example um, but that can, is a risk that can be managed uh, if if the uh, if that goes through a pricing, for example, for carbon, mm. uh, as you, as you put it earlier, uh, where it would uh, enable different ecosystems to emerge and let the best ideas um, win, if you like, especially on the energy uh, transition, um, without um, without determining how the free market operates. Brilliant, thank you, um, Vanessa. Um, I I think the key is speed for every moment of delay we have in building different things and building things better um, we're going to have to do more change the quicker we do it the less we have to do in terms of taking carbon out of the economy so i think my ask to government would be 
to not just focus on changing policies on what types of projects we build, but also how we actually build them. So we, we don't just need to re review whether we're subsidising and having policies which support renewable power. We also need to have a look at whether our systems for approving new renewable power projects um, are still fit for purpose or whether we need to just speed them up. Mm, absolutely. Thank you. Charlie? I'm finding myself again with Vanessa, which I can't always say with my own legal <laughs> department. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but again, I think so the challenge is clear. The solutions are many and the solutions are varied and the solutions are multi-industry. I think what we need to do is really just get on with it, deal with the blockers, deal with the neighbours and really get things moving because there are many areas we can point to that need to be addressed, need to be improved. But we need to start and start doing it quickly. Absolutely. Martin? I think if um, I could wave a wand and change something, it would be that... So if you take this challenge of net zero, it actually is a, is a health problem when you, when you uh, fast forward. If you think about drink driving or you think about um, blood donation, government really puts, its, puts effort into making that, that campaign real. And if you think about it from a business perspective, privatisation campaigns in the in the early 90s that kind of um, you know just asked Sid you know those campaigns when government wants to do something it can do it so I think if I was to, if I was to change one thing it would be a, a meaningful campaign <coughs> to actually um, to help the public to, to help bring the public with us on this and why is that important one speed secondly is risk that we make the same mistake over and over and over again, which is we end up with the same reaction, and it's so predictable and it's and it's solvable. Um, the other thing is that that would help do is, as you said, it's about driving demand as well. Uh, the public demands more of governments. Governments do respond to that, and, and you can't blame governments for that. We live in a democracy. Every four years, they're going to sell the product that they think is going to work best, and often that's a middle of the road, sensible story with some headlines dotted around with a kind of commitment to infrastructure. So we have to give politicians a break actually sometimes that they are only behaving in a democratised environment most of the time. Um, so let's just, yeah, I'm not getting to that, but anyway, that's, that's um, where we are. So I think it, if there was a campaign that was continuous, cross-party, meaningful as well, that would really help uh, all of us, I think, um, and not leave it down to individual projects to make the argument each time for why this issue is important, why it's why this one thing alone won't save the planet, but you have to do your bit, and it just becomes, it just gets bogged down in complicated treacle, basically. And I think it would help if we were elevated the story slightly. Appreciate I keep banging on about the same message over and over again. No, I, I, I like the fact that you've linked it back to it being a health issue because that was number one on your list earlier of what the people ca people care about. Mm -hmm. So if we can link it back to that, that's absolutely brilliant. Um, right. I, very happy for the rest of you to give your pennies worth as well so Fiona would you like to yeah so I think mine's somewhere between the kind of urgency um, side and the kind of um, the sort of bringing the public with us side I think if we think about 2050 net zero it's, it's ages away and but we need to take action now and decisions we make now impact on that so I think it's trying to kind of break or make that link between um, you know public choice and you know what, what we need to do as a kind of society and be that you know build more renewables or whatever it is and how that will impact on you know the target in the long term and I think things that we need to decide now are these regulatory kind of barriers that we need to kind of break down in order to do that so I think my answer kind of sits somewhere between 
the two that's already been said, I think. I like it. <laughs> Very diplomatic. Okay. Thanks, Claire. Um, I think it's been quite interesting listening to the panel. I'll repeat some of the things that have been discussed as I go through because you know we're all agreed there is a moral obligation. I think that's generally accepted. We have the support um, for the public to do what we need to do to deliver major low carbon projects and job creation is a big part of that. We shouldn't underestimate how big a factor that is when we're trying to deliver these projects and get people on board. We have the strategy and policy broadly from a government perspective and we have the technology there. So what are the barriers in making it happen? Um, of, you know, to deliver these major low carbon projects. If we take away the barriers, and we discussed one of the major barriers is the steps and delays in the financial process and getting financial close mm. to get the certainty. Um, if we have that, we know that major projects benefit from collaboration. Um, collaboration within the team, we take away unnecessary short-term cost-driven procurement processes, which all cause part of the delay. And if we, if we get that certainty, we can get the programme and cost delivery to deliver on those moral obligations. And I think that's the key, that's the secret, is to take away those uh, uncertainties that stop these projects flowing through. I think you've just wrapped up the session for me there, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> time, time for a break, <laughs> there, after that. I, um, I think there's maybe something a little bit more philosophical, you know, and I like, I think we need to have a conversation about this, that, you know, the first question you asked was, is it possible or not? And I don't, I think it's an irrelevant question. Like one point where, well, we're on target for three degrees, 1.8 degrees, like none of these numbers really matter to me. Like, you know, they're all important, but they're so conceptual. I don't understand them, you know, and like the, the 1.5 degrees has 12 decimal points after it of what it means and how much it goes up every year. And I can't understand that. But the one thing I always think that I like that it links back to is an Olympics, you know, the Olympics will start on, you know, the 1st of July, whatever day. And if the roof's not on, the roof's not on. But everyone is on the same team to make sure that the games start at the same time. And if we can create that atmosphere for net zero, that would be something really powerful because everyone talks about the things we know about, as in, like, we need, you know, fiscal policy for X, Y, and Z, or we need skills in this industry. But I think there's maybe a question about, like, the unknown of imagine if you got everyone on board you know if someone came up to me before the 2012 olympics and said drop what you're doing for two weeks we need your help on you know pulling up the banners otherwise there's going to be a huge embarrassment to the uk because we'll be on national television the banners will be out. i'll go okay i'll do it and if we can somehow create that environment for net zero whatever part of it it is i think then it'll be really i think that's the the way to take it and how you do that, leave that to Craig and his list of uh, <laughs> quite eloquent points. But I, think, yeah, but I think the like philosophy around it of what we're trying to achieve is super important. Yeah. And everyone, we all get it, that's why we're sitting here. But I explain this stuff to people and they're like, yeah, well, it's complicated and I'll get on with my day job. Mm. But how do we make it more Olympics? You know, everyone can understand that. So I think that's my slightly avoiding your question again. Yeah, definitely. I do like the point you've made there about um, even you yourself don't understand the targets. I think that's a fundamental point. But you know, I do this all day, exactly, every day. Exactly. And it's complicated and they're like, you know, even trying to explain, well, there's carbon neutral, net zero, then yeah. there's zero carbon. You exactly. know, I was at a presentation by an economist on different lines and I was sitting there going like, there are four different lines and they mean slightly different things for the power grid like you know and it was it was just confusing 
Um, and I think then to the lay person who's not in the energy industry or the major projects industry, like, you know, that power station's 60 years of jobs. I like that. I can get that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks. But well, I've, I've heard you describe the difference between 1.5 and 2 before in terms of number of lives. Yeah. Impacted. It's, well, I mean, it's a fairly, it was from the book that Manon, mm -hmm. um, mm. you know, gave us to read. And it's, it's the difference just from health air quality from, and I might get the number wrong, but I'll have to double check it and I'll email you, Andy, is 25 holocausts a year, every year after 2050 just from the difference between 1.5 degrees and 2 degrees. And that was the stat that mm. the name of the author, I now forget, gave in the book. You know, that's something, and it's a fairly, you know, it's a horrid stat, but just from air quality, let alone floods, you know, heat, food, there are so many different ways, but that was just from air quality from fossil fuels. That's from which, the Good Ancestor. Is that the book? It's from the Good Ancestor yes. book, yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, it's, uh, and it was a, it's a great book if, um, it's but it's those kind of stats, isn't it, that people can get yeah. behind because they can visualise it. And that's what I was trying it to say earlier, visual language. Yeah, exactly. Which is an emotional response, not a logical one, which yes. is what we need, what you we know, need. a bit yeah. more of that. Agreed. There is a balance of just on that when, particularly when you're dealing with the younger generation, when we talked about creating a sense of urgency, given that if you factor it, then you don't want people not to be too, much too switched, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. too scared that they actually switch off and stop engaging. So and I think balance? we see that, and it's one of my things, I've seen it from, not my local MP, but a near local MP, um, of, oh, climate change doesn't matter because China's, like, you know, we're 0.8% emissions and China is 27 to 31%, so it doesn't matter. We should just get sandbags and build floating houses. That's not, and that's what fear does, I think, is that attitude, Come which doesn't help anyone. Yeah. It's um, about changing their narrative. I say this as a ashamed Australian but but one of the th one of the things that I think has turned public opinion in Australia which is who, who has always said we have a tiny proportion we make a lot of money from coal so let's just pretend this isn't happening one of the things that really changed the narrative is when the press and a lot of sort of people engaging on the topic changed the narrative from talking about um, countries' emissions to per capita emissions and just yes. stop talking about country emissions altogether. And as soon as you yep. do that, China's emissions are tiny yep. and ours look quite Last scary. week during COP, the FT did a full page, mm -hmm. double page spread on the different type of emissions and top left was per capita emissions. And I was in there going, thank you, someone's done that. Um, so yeah, I'll share it around with this group of us yeah, there because it was just great and it just made it so clear about you know who's doing what. Mm. Yeah. Thanks very much, Will. Okay, Sorry, rambling on. I'll shut up. I promise. Um, no, no, it's great. Um, Philippe, would you like to have a key call to action? Uh, you no, don't have to. You don't have to. No, I mean, I, th I think yes. I mean, I think on the point that you mentioned, but like to try to. I think ultimately, yes, there is an audience where you have the emotional aspect is driving a lot of things, and it's trying to summarize all perspective of the problem. Because it's not just one, there is not just one solution, just not one side of the problem, there is different perspective of how to tackle the problem and, and try to summarize all of this into just something very simple that can be understood by Joe Blogs. Uh, that, that's uh, always the, the, the issue. Uh, and that's sometimes also the risk is the fact that, you know, um, I think that, you know, if we were to always speak of a simple language, you will simplify a lot of things and to some extent. You know, in the industry, as at some point, has to maybe, uh, you know, we have to speak at their language to some extent. Uh, and yes, 
we have to understand that for de depending on the, obviously the audience, the message has to change and we have to be able to adjust this language and also be able to, I think for me is, uh, for example, consideration of the through life aspect. You know, it's not just about oh, getting there or oh, we're doing something. We deploy a technology, right, it's going to take us there, but it's also looking at the whole through life yeah. of that technology because once you've got that technology, you are going to inherit all of the bad and good thing about that technology for the year to come. So it's not about designing just for producing, but it's designing for supporting in the long term as yeah. well. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I think is uh, probably uh, because we believe that I think things like will become uh, uh, so from the technology point of view. Uh, I think we need the compatibility uh, in the future. And what I see, I think that the, the government probably uh, to push more on innovation because we talk about the speed, we talk about the blocker, we talk about uh, the delay in implementing these kind of things. So innovation, I think, is quite important. But the problem with a lot of sectors, which is they they don't spend on the innovation, but I think there is a need for support. And the innovation, uh, because a lot of things will come together, so we talk about they need to be compatible. So that's where the collaboration, integration is very important. But there is a very important piece, we talk about standardization, you know, the standard, because these kind of things, which is they make this, whatever compatible, it is safe and it is, uh, it is uh, uh, operatable. So I, I, I work with a, a number of system committee with IEC, and I think there is a, there is a little, in terms of the focus on the standardization because we wait until the technology is there and try to demonstrate, try to bring the uh, standard. But I think that this, if, if there is a push on the standardization, there is a chance for speeding up the implementation of the innovative solutions because a lot of technology, a lot of innovation there, but we cannot implement them because there is no standard. We don't know if they work, we don't know if they are safe. So I, I see these two pieces. Mm -hmm. They need to be uh, uh, looked at to speed things up, and also to enable our future. You know, like uh, to be uh, to be uh, to be uh, more compatible things to work together. So that's uh, that's my. Thank you. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay. Well, that that's the end of the Q and A. So I, I just want to say a big thank you actually for your engagement tonight and um, your enthusiasm towards <laughs> towards the topic. Um, it's been really good. And hopefully, hopefully you've seen the benefit of having a slightly more exclusive event because you really can engage in, in the topic. Um, I think we would all agree um, that to meet net zero we must all work together and from the COP26 dialogue it is clear that firm action on climate change is required urgently now. Um, but as we discussed tonight, turning this ambition into reality is what requires all of us to show leadership in driving meaningful change in our major projects. Thank you for listening to part two of our COP26 podcast. We do hope you found it informative, useful and thought provoking. As I mentioned in the introduction to part one, environmental sustainability is core to the association's 2025 strategy being one of three landmark objectives where we intend to move the dial on performance over the next four years. Please do get in touch to find out more about the work of the Sustainability Ambassadors, the task force that we've set up, the support that you can get and the contributions that you can make. We're also very keen to hear from members who had successes tackling some of those issues we've been discussing and have case studies to share. Thank you.